0: Daniel chapter 4. So I'm just going to do a quick revision of what we've done so far. So Daniel chapter 1, we had Daniel, Shadrach, Mishael, and Abednego, and they refused to compromise by eating or drinking their king's meat and wine. Daniel chapter 2 was Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, and that dream was the four kingdoms represented by the big statue... The head of gold, representing the Babylonian empire or kingdom. The chest and arms of silver, representing the Medo-Persian empire, the Medes and the Persians. And then you have the torso of bronze, which represents the Grecian empire. And then you have the, the legs of iron, which represent the Roman empire. And then you have the feet, which are iron and clay, which represent a revived Roman Empire where there's going to be a federation of ten kings and that hasn't happened yet. And when that does happen, when it finally gets to that time when this federation of kings happens, then that's when Jesus comes back and destroys all of human government and guess what? It's a millennial reign. It's back with him. So um Jesus will reign forever and ever. Then in Daniel chapter 3, it's about 20 years later after or 20 years after chapter 2, and Nebuchadnezzar's power goes to his head and he makes a statue that is all gold representing his delusion that his kingdom and power are eternal and will never fail, despite God clearly telling him the opposite. And again, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego continue to refuse to compromise, they lay their lives on the line because they will only worship God and not anyone or anything else. They are willing to pay the ultimate price that God chooses to rescue them. And Jesus joins them in the fire, which is fantastic. I love that picture. What it means to me is that our relationship with God is so awesome that nothing compares to it, but there's so many things that distract us from our relationship with God. And when God does take some of those things away, it's actually a blessing because then we get to experience more of his fullness in our lives, more of the abundant life. As Paul says, everything else is like dung or rubbish. And it's only as we're willing to give up our own way to die to self that we will really start to experience and enjoy the love, peace, and joy that God wants to, Give us, wants us to experience. So, Daniel chapter 4, which we're going to cover today, is a continuation of the theme of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, uh, which is really his rebellion against God. So, Lucifer's sin was pride, and that brought him low. Pride is the sin behind all other sins. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to rebel against God and we can read about that in Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 to 6. It says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and at a tree desirable to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So Lucifer wanted to be like God. He wanted to call the shots. He wanted to get all the praise. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They too wanted to do their own thing to make their own rules. So what does this look like practically for us? Because when we're not following God, we are actually our own God. We're making our own decisions and not submitting to his decisions. So practically, it means that I think that I know better than God, that my way is better than God's way, and that I will be better off and more happy if I do things my way. And my wisdom is greater than God's. And so I reject God and his will and his plan for my life. Why bother praying? Who needs to pray? I already know what to do. I've got all the resources I need. Okay, so as Romans chapter 3, verses 9, the second half through to 12 says, it says, For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So what we're going to see today is God reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar and it's going to result in his salvation. And that's what God does for us. We do not seek God in the natural. Okay. Our sinful human nature does not want anything to do with God. And you can read Romans chapter eight, verse seven for that. The sinful nature is enmity against God. It never wants to follow God's rules or obey him. So if not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin, righteousness and judgment, we would never seek him and we would all die in our sins. But, praise God, as we're going to see today, that even though the mess we are in is our own fault. Remember, it was humans who stuffed up in the first place, right? God set in motion a plan of redemption when he reached down to us and he seeks to bring us humans back to himself, no matter what the cost to himself and I just want to read those verses from John 16, 8-11, talking about the Holy Spirit and the ministry that he is currently doing. And you'll see evidence of this in the life of Nebuchadnezzar as well. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, What we see in this chapter is a picture of what God has been doing since the Garden of Eden when he went looking for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve started to run away. What did God do? He went in there and he found them. He's been reaching out to lost sinners ever since and shining the light of his law into their hearts to reveal their true ugly and sinful condition in the hope that some might choose to return to him. It's a free choice. So in Daniel chapter 4, we see God reaching out to a prideful and egotistical Nebuchadnezzar, someone who on the outside doesn't show the slightest interest in seeking God. Now you may know people and you might think that person's never going to come to the Lord, that person doesn't care, but we're going to see that appearances can be deceiving, very deceiving. So Nebuchadnezzar doesn't seem to have the slightest interest in changing, he seems to hate God has his own gods, and yet despite this, God is faithful and patient to continue to reach out to this lost soul, just like he did me, and just like he did for you, and or is doing for you if you're not saved yet. So, let's pray, then we'll read the chapter. Father, thank you for this awesome insight into your patience with us. Lord, the way that you never give up on us, and your heart's desire is to see all people saved. And we just Thank you for your persistent love, Lord. We don't deserve to be chased down by you. We don't deserve to be wooed by you, to have your Holy Spirit convicting us again and again and again. And Lord, you love us too much to let us go to hell without being warned and without being tested. And Lord, you do things to reveal our true identity, Lord, that we are sinners and that we are helpless and that we need you. And Lord, thank you for the way you continue to do these things. And as Christians, Lord, you still don't give up, and you are continuing to change us, even though we are still rebellious at times. And we still grieve your Holy Spirit sometimes. So help us to be thankful for who you are as we see your character and your love revealed through this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 4. Interesting, interesting chapter. This Amazing view into what's going on in the heavenly realms. You know, we look around the physical, and yep, I see some physical people here. But guess what? There's angels here too. Angels are watching us, there's watchers. So when you say God is watching you, it's very real. And the angels are also watching us too. So, chapter 4 Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. So what is this? This is his testimony. It's him recounting his salvation. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And now he tells his story. It's his testimony. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me, his name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. Notice that, the name of my God. In him is the Spirit of the Holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of the Holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. So now he's going to tell Daniel his vision or dream. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached toward the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, "'Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. "'Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. "'Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches.'" Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and is a sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will, and sets it over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, Remember this is Daniel, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power? and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured Him who lives for ever, For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. I love that. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. What an amazing thing. At the start he says he named Daniel after his God, Belteshazzar, now he's praising and extolling the God of gods. Abraham Lincoln said nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. So in chapter 4, we see the testimony of the last person you would ever think would be saved. Nebuchadnezzar was king of the Babylonian Empire, and here we see the story of his conversion. Now, a bit of historical background. The bricks that they found that were part of that huge city, one of the wonders of the ancient world, have his name on them, (laughs) built by Nebuchadnezzar. And it's got more. I can't remember what the other bit said. But it was one of the wonders of the world. And he did massive building programs to expand and beautify this city. So it would have been a quite a sight to behold. So let's jump into verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. So Nebuchadnezzar writes to the people and he says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Now, that is what our testimony is. We are declaring signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So, you remember the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts as he tells his conversion story? You know, I was riding along on my horse, and or not his horse, but a horse, and he gets knocked off the horse by the light and there he goes. Again, like Nebuchadnezzar, he was proud. And the last person you didn't expect to get saved at that point in time. So, I thought it good to declare. It is good to declare what God has done for us. Satan has a huge interest in keeping us silent about the good things that God has done for us. We should be sharing what God has done for us. Sharing a testimony. I once was, but now am. Okay, And what it says in... Um, Corinthians, and such were some of you. We were in like homosexuals and idolaters and adulterers and liars and all that, but God has changed us. And it also says that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar has finally got it through his head that yes, he was a great king, but in this chapter he's recognizing. That God's kingdom is far greater and God's dominion is unique because it's everlasting, whereas His kingdom is temporary. And we need to have that realization as well. The little kingdom we have on this earth is temporary, and God's kingdom is eternal. Verse 4 I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Ah, at rest. This evil guy was at rest. But was he really at rest? Because in his dream he was afraid and troubled. The thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So the most powerful ruler in the history of the world was at rest in his palace and flourishing in his position, yet as he laid on his bed he was troubled. So the person you might think is so closed to the gospel, could, like Nebuchadnezzar, be struggling with questions about eternity, mortality, the purpose of life, the questions we as believers have already settled when we gave our heart to Jesus. So someone said, Nebuchadnezzar's rest was a false peace of the ungodly. And God soon shook him from his false security. And that's what God does. He smashes your security, the things you're trusting in, And you realize that you can't trust those things anymore, whatever they might be. Verse 6, Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men. Now, it's interesting that he told them the dream this time, the first time in chapter 2 he didn't, but now he does. And it doesn't say they could not, it says they would not. People say that basically they didn't want to offend the king, so they didn't say anything. I mean, how are you going to tell the king? King, you're a really proud guy, and God's going to bring you low. The king would probably take your head off, so they'd probably be scared. But at last, Daniel came in before me. So when the magicians were either unable or unwilling to interpret the dream, Nebuchadnezzar finally called for Daniel. Now, why did he call Daniel last? I think it's because Nebuchadnezzar's God at that time was who? Bel, right? So he wanted all his priests to come in because he thought his priests were in touch with the real God. And finally, he doesn't get any answers from them And he was impressed by what Daniel did and how God worked through Daniel, but he wasn't converted back then, and so he's still looking to his own God. But now he goes to Daniel, and this is what people do. They run to all the bits of help that they think they have, and when they all fail, I finally turn to God. And that's why sometimes when we go through hard times, one of the last things we do is pray, because we've got all these little things that we think will help us, and we go to them first. But eventually they will all fail. Go to Jesus first. And it says there, His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. So the first part of that word is Bel. That's the name of the deity that he worshipped in Babylon there. So again, just to remember that what he saw previously with Daniel and the three Hebrew young men was enough to impress him, but not enough to convert him. And so being impressed with God is not the same thing as being converted. Now I've got a note from Chuck Smith. It's titled, The Holy God. It is interesting that Nebuchadnezzar described Daniel as one in whom is the spirit of the Holy God. We tend to take for granted that God is holy. But to pagans, this is a unique claim. The pagan gods were never seen as holy. They were always selfish, vengeful, and even licentious. and licentious. A holy god was a novelty to them. It was unusual. Unknown, really. But you have to ask yourself, how did Nebuchadnezzar get the idea that Daniel's god was holy? No doubt, the holy god was manifested in the holiness of daniel he lived such a pure clean life a life that was holy a life of prayer a life of commitment to the lord that his holy god could be seen in his lifestyle this is a challenge to me can people see the holiness of god in the way that i live and i want to just read something that paul said to you as well it's first corinthians 4 verses 16 and 17 you probably know these verses Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So, it's not just what he teaches, it's also what he lives. He's going to remind you of my ways, my lifestyle, as I teach everywhere in the church. Uh, verse ten. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and this massive tree comes up, and this a picture of Nebuchadnezzar and the power that God has given him. So he is this massive tree, and in his eyes he's huge, yeah. And he's gonna come tumbling down. God's gonna bring him low. It's a sign of being humbled. And the height and the extent of the tree is a picture of the extent of the power of his kingdom, the power that he had. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, I'd say an angel, coming down from heaven. So angels come and go from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times or seven years pass over him. And Why? that he may know, the living may know, God is using Nebuchadnezzar as an example as well, that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no one can interpret this dream, but you can because the spirit of the holy God is in you. So basically, he's seeing this angel come down, cut the tree down, and there's only a stump left behind. So basically what happens is, or what it means is, is the tree is going to be reestablished. It's going to grow back again. It's going to be kept there. It's not going to be completely destroyed. So I just want to come back to that phrase there, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. This is why I think that it wasn't a very hard dream to interpret. But like most kings, ancient and modern, and you see this in lots of people today, these rulers of these nations, they think that they rule. And that's what they actually wrote down in their inscriptions. The Assyrian the Babylonian kings thought themselves as rulers over the earth, and that's how they described themselves. You are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. So Nebuchadnezzar recognized that Daniel was filled with the Spirit of the Holy God, but had not yet yielded himself to this Holy God. Verse 19, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. And so Nebuchadnezzar had to speak and say, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And then he, Daniel says, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. And so Daniel is tender. Daniel is gentle. That's the fruit of the Spirit. He could have said, This serves you right, Nebuchadnezzar. You've been such a pain to so many people for so long. You deserve what's going to happen. But he didn't. That's not how God wants us to treat people. Other people in the Bible were like Daniel. Ezra was another one who was rendered speechless over the sin of his people. Jesus wept over the sin and rejection of his people. Now, you might be able to quote theology. You might have countless charts on eschatology. There might be no end to knowledge that's in your head. But until people see your heart, that you care for them, they're not going to receive the message that you have for them. It's important in witnessing and also important in how we treat each other. It's not about what you know so much. It's about your heart for them. Are you being transformed into the image of Christ, someone who loves people, someone who cares for people? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a person who was easily loved. He was a a monster. But Daniel still had this care for him. Why do you think Daniel had this care for him? Again, someone who's not easy to love. But what was Daniel doing? Three times a day, he would pray. So this gives us a hint of what he was praying for. He was praying for other people. Verse 20. This massive tree... It represents Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse 22, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this, watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and let him eat grass. And this is the interpretation, verse 24. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times or seven years shall pass over you till you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And verse twenty six inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven. Rules. Notice that, after you come to know. So, you are the tree, Nebuchadnezzar, standing so tall, but you will be cut down low and driven out into the fields. You live like a beast, like an oxen, like a cow for seven years. But just as the stump of the tree was left, you will return to power. So what was God's purpose in all this? What does it say? After you come to know that, heaven rules. Okay, that's God's intended purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. Guess what? That's God's intended purpose for us. What does dying to self mean? It means giving up my way and accepting God's way. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Does heaven rule in your heart this morning? Does heaven rule in my heart this morning? Probably not completely. There's Usually in most of us, there's part of our lives which we don't want to let go completely of. Something we want to hold on to. And that will hold us back. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Now Daniel is bold here. And this is how we need to be bold. We talked about witnessing last week. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel was tender. But he's also very honest, truthful. So remember what it says in Ephesians? Speak the truth in love. He's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, turn away from your unrighteousness. What's the word for that we use today? Repent. So like Daniel, we need to be those people who care enough to say to people, you've got to turn away from the path you're on. You need to repent to come to Jesus. What did Jesus do to the rich young ruler? He said, all right, you want to follow me? Fantastic. Pray this prayer and you're in. No, he didn't do that, did he? Okay. What did he do? He said, looking into his heart, knowing all things. Ah, this man is being ruled by adultery. Money is his God. His idol is his money, his riches. Let's point out to him, What's keeping him from me? Alright, son, go sell your possessions and come follow me. And the guy couldn't. What had Jesus just done? He revealed the man's sin. He re- revealed the man's heart. Okay? It's like going through the commandments, which we talked about before. Someone said the ultimate expression of self-love or selfish love is not telling people the truth, but rather withholding the truth from people who are lost because we are afraid of offending them, and if we offend them, then they won't like us. We are more concerned about our reputation, or we can be more concerned about our reputation, than the well-being of the other person when we fail to speak the truth in love. We need to be honest with people about these things. And it's not just sharing the gospel, it's in relationships. You need to speak truth to your friends. Even if it's going to hurt them even if it's going to possibly damage that relationship, because in the end, the relationship will be stronger. So, Daniel is tender, he's gentle, he's honest, but Nebuchadnezzar, has he learned his lesson? Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I built for a royal? Notice that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. (laughs) Completely selfish. And that's what humanism is, as I mentioned previously. It's all about what man can do. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar hear from the Lord through the dreams that Daniel interpreted, but he literally saw the Lord in the fire with Daniel's three friends. And so you've probably heard the expression, the hound of heaven. Have you heard that before? No? But God's like the hound of heaven, like a, a hound chases the deer or the rabbit or whatever he might be chasing. He's got this really good sense of smell. So God is like the hound of heaven. He's pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is running as fast as he can, but God is pursuing him. Nebuchadnezzar is still hardening his heart and refusing to acknowledge God. And as I said before, pride is the foundational sin of everyone who is not saved. Pride is what caused Lucifer to fall. So at the end of 12 months, so God gave Nebuchadnezzar how long to repent? 12 months. And he probably forgot about the dream during that time, but God doesn't forget. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth... A voice fell from heaven. It reminds me of King Herod. What happened to him when he gave an oration and all the people of Tyre and Sidon were saying, the voice of a God, not of a man. What happened to him? He got eaten by worms and died. What a awful way to die. And shameful. Okay? So don't ever try and take God's glory for yourself. And it says King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times all year shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that very hour it happened. He ate grass like an ox, his body was wet with the dew of heaven and his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So... (laughs) This really, you know, prim and proper king is going to look like... Uh, you see those pictures of the demon-possessed man in the tombs and what well, he might look like unkept, completely unkept, and that's kind of what I picture here. So people have speculated upon it could be a medical condition, but I just think he went insane. And uh, whatever the reason, whatever caused that, it was God who did it. And this is how far God will go. This is God's faithfulness and tenacity to keep on pursuing people, to bring them into the kingdom. Whatever it takes, I'm going after you, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, even if it means allowing you to eat grass like an ox (laughs) for seven years. I'm going to bring you to the place where you see that you need me. And this also works for us as Christians. God is still working in us to humble us, And to recognize our dependency on Him. So we learn to depend on Him and not on ourselves. So God's faithfulness and tenacity to go after people never fails to astound me. And I'm so thankful for it. Imagine if God gave up. How many people would be saved? (laughs) Probably none, yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar was given the opportunity to humble himself and he didn't. Now God humbles him. And the experience was much more severe than it had to be. If Nebuchadnezzar had just humbled himself and said, you know what, then you're right, and I know that this is going to happen to me if I remain proud, but he chose not to humble himself. We too can choose not to humble ourselves. God will show us something in our lives and we refuse to repent. That's pride. We're doing things our own way. And then God will have to bring something a lot more painful to force us to bow the knee in the area of our lives. Verse 34. And at the end of the time, so Nebuchadnezzar, there was no shortcuts here, there was a full seven years. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm only the head of gold. The rock that's going to smash that statue is Jesus And that is the eternal kingdom. Now, I've got a little note from Chuck Smith here. Sanity or insanity? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that Daniel interpreted for him that predicted that Nebuchadnezzar would lose his mind for a period of time so that he would realize that God is in charge. Nebuchadnezzar was out looking at the wonders of Babylon one day, marveling at the splendor of all that he had built by his power and for the glory of his majesty. At that moment of pride, he lost his mind. He became like an animal, eating grass like an ox. But then, after seven years, we see in verse 34, that I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. And Chuck says, There is a fine line between sanity and insanity. The difference is often determined by where you are looking. If you are looking at your own accomplishments And taking pride in your own glory, it can drive you crazy. (laughs) But if you will lift up your eyes to heaven and worship and praise God, your understanding will so often return. The picture clarifies and you see God for who he is. In verse 35, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. This is Nebuchadnezzar still talking about God. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a huge army, and now he's saying, well, God's army is much bigger than mine, much more powerful. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? It says that in Romans, doesn't it, and Isaiah? Who was his counsellor? Do you remember the centurion whose servant was sick? And he said to Jesus, there's no need for you to come. I too am a man under authority. You just speak the word and it'll happen. You're in charge. That's the attitude we need to have. God, you're in charge. That leads to great faith. Verse 36, At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. Now there's a good little analogy here. So at the same time my reason returned to me, you can go to the prodigal son story where it says, and the prodigal son came to himself. It's like his sense, his reason returned to him. That's in Luke fifteen seventeen. Nebuchadnezzar's reason and understanding returned to him. In other words, both the prodigal son and him were both returned to the men they were before. They were railroaded by pride, which is really just deception. Verse 36. My counsellors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom and excellence. An excellent majesty was added to me now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. This is a lesson we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar and not have to learn ourselves if we will listen. those who walk in pride he is able to put down. What does James say in James chapter four, verse six? God resists. The proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, there's a couple of things we can learn before we finish. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him. Nebuchadnezzar could only see the truth about Himself when He first saw the truth about God. We don't know who we are until we understand who God is because we're otherwise deceived. And it's after He praised God that His reason returned. Now, quote from Spurgeon. We do not worship enough, my brethren. Even in our public gatherings, we do not have enough worship. I worship the King. Bow your heads low. Bow your spirits, rather. And adore him that liveth for ever and ever. Your thoughts, your emotions, these are better than bullocks and he-goats to be offered on the altar. God will accept them. Worship him with the lowest reverence, for you are nothing, and he is all in all. That's what worship is, you realize that? is putting God in his proper place as the king and you as the servant and giving God the glory and honor that he is due, all his beautiful attributes. Also, with humility comes prayer. The return of reason also resulted in prayer. And if we believe what Nebuchadnezzar now believed, then there will be a difference in our prayer life. We'll be depending on God. We will know that God can change the heart and mind of men, the course of rivers, the flow of oceans, the distribution of resources, and the assignment of angels even. That's pretty good, eh? So, in summary, exactly as Daniel prophesied, Nebuchadnezzar returned to power, only this time he knew that his power came from not his own ability, but from God's mercy. Big difference. Nebuchadnezzar is now humble and broken before the Lord. He is saved. And why I believe that I think he was saved, in verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven and all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. So who is he praising and extolling now? Is it Bell or is it God? It's God. Okay. So every person has the opportunity to respond to God's grace, to humble themselves and be broken before Jesus, the creator and ruler of heaven and earth. So what does Nebuchadnezzar mean when he says, and all who walk in pride is able to put down? It's basically the same thing as being humble and broken before Jesus. And I just want to finish with a couple of verses. One of them is Luke chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. Then he, Jesus, looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. This is Psalm 119, verse 22. And it refers, you might know the story, when they built the temple, they brought all the stones from the quarry, which is a distance away, so you couldn't hear the noise of the quarry from the temple mount. One stone didn't seem to fit, and so they threw it down the hill into the Kidron Valley. And when they just about finished the temple, oh, where's the last stone? Where's the corner stone? Ah, oh, it's that one we threw away. Let's go and get it. Let's put it in to finish this thing off. All right? So, the moral of the story, you're trying to build your religion, your life apart from me, he says. But you're going to see that I am the cornerstone. Without me, nothing stands, nothing lasts. And then the next part of that was, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What does that mean? Well, The one who falls upon Jesus, the cornerstone, will be broken. Our pride will be broken. As we admit our sin and our need, then we are saved. You see, those who aren't broken or humbled before him will one day be broken or humbled by him. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2.10. The only question is when this will happen. Will you do it now in brokenness and humility before him and be saved, or will you wait too long and be broken by him and have to endure eternal torment in the lake of fire? Nebuchadnezzar, although it took a long time, it was over 20 years. Think about that, Daniel's perspective, praying for over 20 years for King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar finally bowed the knee, making Jesus his Lord, and repented and counted the cost of following him, responding to God's love and grace. And he believed the promises. And what promises does God give us today that we can put our trust in? Well, here's one. Acts ten forty-three. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive what? Forgiveness of sins, or remission of sins. So my pride, like Nebuchadnezzar's, has been broken. I've come to understand what Paul says in Romans 7.18 and this is all part of what Nebuchadnezzar learned. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. So we need to come to understand that the reason we break God's law is because there's nothing good in us to keep God's law. Therefore we are guilty. And I'm just going to finish with some verses from Romans which show us our need for forgiveness. We first have to see and admit that we are dirty, rotten sinners because we have all broken his law. And only then can we understand the reason that Jesus became the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. As 1 John 2 2 says, he himself is a sacrifice that atones or pays a debt for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of all the world. So you read that and say, oh, that's nice. But why? Why did he have to do that? Well, Romans tells us, finish on this romans three nineteen to twenty eight some of the verses, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is what guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. that's the purpose of the law verse twenty one in Romans But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. It's pretty good, eh? As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We have all broken the Ten Commandments. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And the connotation there is as the sacrifice or payment for our sins. And moving on to Verse 27, Romans 3. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal, that is being declared not guilty of breaking God's law, is not based on obeying the law, trying to be good. It's based on faith, believing that he paid the price for our sins. So we are made right with God through faith, simple belief, and not obeying the law. Not by obeying the law, trying hard to be good enough. So we have two choices as people, as humans. For those who are not saved or born again, what will you do? Will you admit your guilt before the perfect God, who is also your judge, and accept his gift of forgiveness by believing that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross almost 2,000 years ago was the payment for your sins? Or, because of your pride, will you continue to reject him and risk hardening your heart or missing the opportunity to be saved and so spend eternity being in torment and agony and isolation and darkness in the lake of fire. So the choice is yours. Never forget that God loves you and has literally done everything in his power and is going to extreme lengths, just as he did with Nebuchadnezzar, to deliver you from eternal damnation. The choice of where you spend eternity is yours alone. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, as we as Christians, we want to see people saved. And Lord, help us to, first of all, like Daniel, be praying for them because as we pray for them we'll have a real burden in our hearts for those people a desire to see them saved. because we'll understand as we become more like you you give us your heart and we love people as you love them lord we have the same desire to see them saved as you do well we start to have that same desire and i just pray that you will do that in us today lord that you will give us this desire to pray for people And as we pray for people, you will transform us and our heart will become your heart and we will love these people and treat them gently and with respect like Daniel did to the king and no matter how cruel or nasty those people might be. And for those who aren't saved, I pray that you will make the decision to humble yourselves and come to your senses and return to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.